0: It's very exciting to see the young people in this church and uh, uh, totally exciting uh, to see all the children that are here in this church. And that's the sermon I'm going to preach on. That's what I'm going to talk about today. I don't preach normally as Johnny is so polished and so well describing his words, even as I'm saying this now. My words do not fit always uh, correctly in sentence structure. Um, I know that. I'm a good youth pastor and, uh, uh, and mostly the young people can follow what I'm saying. Uh, did go to seminary, uh, did work on a number of different things, but I, uh, I said instructor sometimes just isn't all there. So I know you'll be looking forward to having Johnny come back to this pulpit and <laughs> preach in a way that will just uh, hit you and uh, you will love. Um, we're going to talk about the idea of hindering children and what happened. In that event in Jesus' life, but before I do this, I want to mention something about sermons. You know, when you you preach a sermon, that there's always the risk that someone's going to fall asleep. And I uh, spent a lot of time in Presbyterian churches, and believe me, uh, they are uh, they are much more boring than the Episcopal uh, Anglican uh, sermons that you'd hear. And uh, the the story goes that the Presbyterian pastor was preaching, and uh, Uh, there was a child sitting in the front with his grandfather sitting there. And the grandfather fell asleep and fell asleep and just started to snore. And it started to to disturb the sermon. And uh, everyone was listening to the snoring and unable to listen to the sermon. And so uh, the the preacher, the Presbyterian uh, pastor, said uh, uh, to the child, Hey, uh, would you you wake up your... uh, grandfather, to which the child responded loud enough so everyone in the church could hear him. You wake him up. You're the one that put him to sleep. <clears throat> I hope I won't put you to sleep, but I just, uh, as we think about it, children are important in worship. And I'm glad that they're here. I'm glad they're here at the beginning of worship, which is a lot of the point that I'm making. Take the picture here we have. The Lord Jesus Christ is speaking and teaching. He's speaking out in the, in the outside, and the people are listening to him. In fact, the thing he was speaking at, it says in Mark, was about matters of the heart, matters of marriage, matters of divorce, which is a matter of the heart. And as he was speaking, then all of a sudden he was interrupted by some parents who, who brought little children to be blessed by the rabbi. Now, apparently, uh, during the first year of life, they wanted their children to be blessed. It was sort of a tradition for the Jews to have that done. Sometimes it would be done on the eighth day. Sometimes it would be on the first year. It didn't make any difference. And we don't really know how old the children were. But somehow, in some way, as Jesus was there teaching the adults... The children interrupted him. And I, I've looked at the Scripture. I've looked at Matthew and Mark in particular to see the interruptions of Jesus. And let me just tell you, it seems like if we didn't have the interruptions of Jesus, we wouldn't really have a whole lot of the Bible. It seems in the Gospels, Jesus is interrupted All the time, they're tearing the roof down, these demons are speaking, everybody's interrupting Jesus, and we usually don't even have what Jesus is talking about, we usually have the interruptions, which is so interesting, isn't it? And the beauty of the scripture being so dynamic, and so real, because that's what life is, life in interruptions. But this passage disturbs me. Because what happened is Jesus is teaching of matters of the heart. And these parents bring these little children to him. And the disciples did what the church has been doing for over 2,000 years. They stopped the children. They hindered the children they rebuked the parents and rebuked the children and said, Jesus doesn't have time. Don't you understand? Jesus has more important things to do than to touch and bless your children. Children, Jesus has more priorities, higher things to do. They were they were, maybe the disciples were concerned, maybe they were upset, maybe they were afraid that Jesus was going to be disturbed. Maybe they even they were nervous. Maybe they thought and probably thought. That that's what Jesus would want them to do. But we see that Jesus got angry. Indignant's the word. Indignant is he got so angry. And why did Jesus get angry? Because here we are almost towards the end. This isn't the beginning of the ministry of the disciples. This is towards the end. They're on the way to the cross. Jesus had been with these disciples Almost three years, and they had not gotten it. They hadn't gotten it. What if you woke up in the morning and found that all you had done in your Christian faith, all that you had invested in your Christian faith, all that you had put your life into was wrong? That your priorities were wrong, your emphasis was wrong, the way you were doing things was wrong, and you said, ah. I have just wasted years of my time. I know youth workers and people in ministry that have come to that point in in their ministry. But here are the disciples stopping the children. They're stopping and hindering the children from coming to Jesus. And Jesus got angry, indignant, and he rebuked them and he said this. Never stop them. Do not stop them. Stop hindering them. I call the great imperative of Scripture. That it was not a choice. Jesus was angry and He was clear with the disciples to make it crystal clear that he they are never, never to stop the children because this is what the kingdom of God is about. Their priorities were wrong. The disciples had it wrong. It was about the children and they were never, never, to stop children again from coming to Jesus. Never at all to do that. And then Jesus not only touched them, but it says he embraced them. He put not just a little blessing of uh, putting his, his hand on their on their head. He embraced the children. Well, I think about this a great deal. And, and the sermon you would like me to preach, uh, I can give you that. That's the one that says the kingdom of God is like children. And children uh, learn to trust. And children are honest. And so you can put that in your notes if you want that in your notes. We all know that sermon, right? That, that sermon that we're to enter the kingdom of heaven because we trust. And, and we're obedient, you know, as children. And 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 we're honest. And, and we really care. And that type of thing. But that's not what the sermon I'm going to preach. I'm sorry, it's not. The pr- sermon I'm going to preach... Uh, Which may mean I never get asked back, but that's okay. Um, uh, Is what hinders and stops the children? How do we stop children now from really growing? How do we hinder children now? And are we doing the opposite of what Jesus has said and we're discouraging them? We're holding them back? And we're keeping them from Jesus. Let me give this in the framework, uh, and, and I will say this: Johnny did ask me to preach on this, so I'm not. It's not a not a surprise in that type of thing. We have found that right now, young people are more isolated and alone than ever in American history. That the the, the fragmentation of society, the segregation of taking young people out of the community is having dire consequences to their growth and their maturity. Almost all of us know of th- something that we speak of known as extended adolescence or the fact that young people don't seem to be growing up. They do not seem to be able to get it. And instead of being an adult, like when I was, uh, when I was 18 years old, it was considered that was the time To figure out what you were doing. You took responsibility for your life. And you moved on. They now say. That adulthood is coming. As late as age 30. We are finding that. Young people. Are not able to make the choices they need to make. And the decisions. And the responsibilities. But what has happened is it has been extended. All the way through the 20s. All the way up to 30. And part of it. People say. Oh, well, it's because of postmodernism. Oh, it's because of this. It's because of that. Well, what does it mean to be an adult? What are the benchmarks of adulthood? I like to tell young people the benchmarks of adulthood are this. And Abby, remember these. And I love to pick on Abby. I'm so glad Abby's here. Thank you for reading this scripture. Thank you. Sir. Could, could we have a hand for the young people here in this church? What does it mean to be an adult? The benchmarks continually stretch out. They continually stretch out so that it's not uncommon, and this occurred a little while ago, a 26-year-old who uh, is is an internship downtown in Washington, D.C., gets a flat tire in the area, uh, cannot seem to figure out how to change the flat tire, sits down on the curb, cries, and in crying then calls their parents in North Carolina to say, what do I do now? 26 years old, 26 years old, that the stories go on of what happened. The story of the college professor who's sitting there as the student is explaining that the student doesn't like the grade they got on their paper. And the professor is explaining why they didn't get a straight A, uh, you know, an A on on their paper. And the student then takes the cell phone out and says, well, my mother would like to speak to you and hand the phone there. That this is going on all over society. Why? Three benchmarks I'd like to mention. Not my main point, but three benchmarks. One is identity. That young people figure out who they are. The other is community. They figure out the community that they're a part of. And when we remove them from community, it hinders their growth. It hinders their growth. Whether you're Republican or Democrat, when Hillary Clinton talked about that uh, African proverb that says it takes a village to raise a child, she's right. We were made to, to grow in community. But identity first, they know who they are. Community, they know who they're part of. And autonomy, that they take responsibility for their choices. Their credit cards, their cell phone bills, uh, their, their tickets, their speeding tickets. All the things that, that they have to do. Getting up in the morning... We are now hitting as much as 50% of the kids going off their first year of college that are returning without finishing their first year of college. And it's not because they can't do the coursework. It's because they don't have the discipline some to get out of bed. Mom is not there to wake them up, pour water on them, and get them to their 9 o'clock class. There's something going on those that have looked at what's going on with teenagers have written books. Can I give you some of the titles of the books? Are you ready? Disconnected. Hurt. The Price of Privilege. Teenage Wasteland. uh, "Suburban Dead End Kids. All Grown Up and Nowhere to Go. The Hurried Child. The Ambitious Generation. Americans, Teenagers. Motivated but Directionless. The one that dealt with Northern Virginia kids about 10, 12 years ago, was written by a woman named Patricia Hurst, a journalist who spent time investigating what's going on with teenagers. The title of her book is A Tribe Apart. That symbolizes exactly what's going on, that young people have removed themselves or have been removed from the community of adults, from the community of the neighborhood, segregated out, put in their own world, And they feel separate and different from the community. You have the blessing of starting a church. Of starting a church here with really a a wide open uh, uh, possibility. And my hope is that what you will do is embrace the young people. You will embrace them and you will not hinder them from coming to Jesus. By giving them blocks and Legos and something else. I've invested 38 years in youth ministry. I have seen successful youth ministries that have produced kids that are disciples of Jesus Christ, and I've seen other youth ministries that invested in other things. And as a result, those young people have never matured. They've not become disciples of Christ. And literally, the youth ministries can hinder their growth by giving them other things besides Jesus Christ. Well, let me give you some of the roadblocks, can I? As you know, 50 years ago, 50 years ago, when a child was born into the community in the United States of America, they were embraced in that community just because they were born. They were a part of that community, and they were accepted in that community, and the neighbors knew about what's going on. Right now, if there is a woman having a baby... In a suburban neighborhood, many times the next door neighbors will not even know that there was a baby born, much less embrace it. It just doesn't happen. They're brought up in isolation, and children discover at age three to five that they are accepted. They are accepted not on the basis of the fact that they were born into that community, but they are accepted because of their performance or because of their image. And what we've created in our culture is says is to the young people that you are only you only have value to me if you have the right image and you perform in the right way. And what we have done to young people in the United States of America is we have discounted their worth unless they achieve a certain level of performance or they look the right way. We like to call it, uh, uh, whether they have SAP, S-A-P, status, appearance, performance. If they have status, appearance, performance, they are accepted and they find out from the teachers in preschool, the smile, the countenance, the welcoming, if they don't have that, they find that they are considered Less of people, and that sets for them the isolation and discouragement that they have. Jesus says, Do not hinder the children. What he says is, You're to embrace them, and by the nature that they are just children in your community, in your church, you take them and you love them, and the church is to be different than the rest of the world. Different. Let me talk about some of the roadblocks, if I could, and I. I hope I'm not discouraging you too much in this way. How do we hinder the young people? I have three ways I want to mention. One, when we segregate or fragment them away from the community. When we take young people and we say, you're the future of the church, rather than realizing that they are the church right now. The entire society has been fragmented. Old people and young people have been pushed aside and it's been the baby boomer generation of which I'm a part that has said we are more important than the rest of those generations. And so therefore, all everything about it has to be about us. And we take the young people and we give them the Legos and we give them the toys. (coughs) And the sadness is in youth ministry, it happens many times the, the same way, where they will put them down and the youth group will be there. In the study of youth ministry, they've come up with a term known as youth ministry being the one-eared Mickey Mouse. A one-eared Mickey Mouse with the circular head, the big head being the congregation, and then the ear being out here. Just a little overlap, but sort sort of out there, out there. When we segregate our young people, we isolate them, from the rest of it from the rest of the community and we tell them that they're not as important second roadblock when they when we put them under a performance performance or image standard when we say to them that they only count if they fit the mold that they only count if they get the grades that they need to get that they look the way they do so that is as, as as many of you know that it is a, that one of the biggest problems in college campuses right now. And it's in high school. And now in the past couple of years, gone down to the middle school uh, with eating disorders. But it's, just, it's just hit it un- unbelievably. Unbelievably amount of, of young people that are just trying to fit the image. Just trying to look that image that, that is there. One of the books that um, that I, that I read a little while ago was called The Mirror Effect how celebrity narcissism is affecting our family. The reality TV shows are having a negative effect on our families as people are looking at these people and saying, this is what it means to be important. And our young people have been given that that lie that they have to to be that certain way. (coughs) And then three, when we hijack the systems and institutions that are that are in place for young people, and we make them about the adults. Examples being youth sports, examples being academics, examples being the uh, uh, not only in our families, but also in our churches. What I mean by that is this. You know, guys, when I grew up, we used to do a thing called pickup games. Do you know young people don't play pickup games anymore? You know what a pickup game is? Let me tell you what, for you young people, let me tell you what it is. That's when you get your friends after school on a Saturday. You grab an old football or a a, a baseball with a bat. And you just go out, even with the four or five of you, and you play a game. They don't do it anymore. Do you know what youth sports is about now? They are told where to stand, what to wear. And they are told whether the ball is in or out. They do not have the leadership skills to determine and argue whether there was a foul or not or whether someone was out of base. They are told what to do and youth sports has been hijacked by the baby boomer generation (coughs) that is more concerned about their kid being in the select soccer school, the select soccer situation. And be able to stand at their cocktail parties and say, well, my daughter, uh, you know, she's on the select, uh, select team. Uh, it seems to be a lot of select teams. Uh, they cost about $3,000 a year to be a part of and, and the like. But what's happening is sports has become so much about the adults. It's not about the children. The children do not learn how to play. Even in the playground, you've seen the commercial. Where the three moms are sitting on a bench and the kid falls and scrapes his knee. You know, and they jump up with what? What do they jump up with? Their antibiotic spray, as it says that forty percent of kids are now sent to elementary school with uh, with that what that what's that stuff they put on their hands? Yeah, sanitizer, because they can't go in the bathroom anymore without that. They're told to do it. They need germs. Kids need germs. <laughs> the playgrounds are covered with rubber now. There's a man that read an article in Psychology Today called Nation of Wimps. We have created a nation of wimps where they're afraid to just... They, they cannot determine and they cannot have... You You have to be able to go to the bully and, and the three of you go, You are a bully and we're going to beat you up if you're not a bully. If you continue to be a bully. But what happens? The parents jump up. No. Oh, can't have it happen. Listen, I don't mean to sound funny. Part of my development was getting into school schoolyard fights. It was it was healthy. It was healthy to get get a, a bloody nose and to have that happen. Doesn't happen. You have kids. Matt, did you ever get in a schoolyard fight? Never. See, that's my point. Here's what I'm saying, guys. What has happened is that the entire society has become one where it's sanitized, and so then when they go off to college, they're unable to deal with failure, unable to deal with the the things that are difficult. Folks, what we need to do is not in the church hinder the children. But there's an answer to this. And the answer is that we embrace these children that we help them grow. We realize that they need to discover who they are. They need to take responsibility for the choices they have and that they are a part of the community of Christ Church Vienna, that they are part of the Christian community. So when they go off to school, they know who they are. They know where they've come from and they've taken responsibility for who they are. And each of them needs mentoring. We've worked in youth ministry to get every person A mentor, that's been our try. Now we're finding out that, wait, wait, enough. What we're finding is every young person needs five mentors. Five people in their lives. Because the family has gotten so there's no extended family. They don't have that grandfather around. They don't have that happening. What they need is they need people that will talk to them, that will listen to them, that will embrace them that will help them deal with problems instead of sitting on the curb and crying about the flat tire. That we show them how to change a flat tire. We show them how to deal with a bully. We show what it means when they go through getting a bad grade. We must reverse the, the trend of what's going on of not just having hovering parents that hover around. It has now become snow plow parents. The ones that push everyone out of the way so that their kid can excel in what they think in terms of protection. These young people need to experience life and we need to walk with them in life. And the thing that we realize in this passage is that what Jesus Christ said is the kingdom of God is like children. And when we mentor and care for children, it's reverse mentoring the adult leaders that work with young people realize that it's not so much they're giving to the kids, but those kids are giving to them and they are learning things that they couldn't learn any other way. So we must assimilate the young people. We must prioritize to keep the young people as a part, not segregate and fragment them out. Prioritize that they are really literally, and this is a youth pastor speaking, I know, take it with a grain of salt. They need to be the priority. They need to be the priority. I'm getting ready to speak to a group of uh, 300 Presbyterian pastors who have discovered that their youth ministries are falling apart. And they're discovering this, that youth ministry is not being effective now, and they don't know what to do. And it's affecting those churches, not so much because they're worried about the young people, But they're worried about what it means. Because as the young people... Let let me just tell you. I I told Johnny the smartest thing in the world was to get mad. The smartest thing in the world to do it. That'll help your budget. It'll help your tenants. It'll help your church. Let me give you the whole deal. I'm not making it up. Am I making it up? No. Why do people come to church? You think they come for the preachers? The preachers think it's because they come for them. Let me tell you why they come. And Johnny's an excellent preacher. Excellent preacher. They come. When their kids are being ministered to. Is that all? No, that's not all. But it's a big deal. There are many, many people that change churches. Because their young people are being cared for. Here's what I'm saying. Prioritize to realize that these young people are important. They're very, very important. And if you look at the value of Jesus. He said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. The disciples did not get it. They didn't get it. They'd been with him for three years and they thought it was all about the adults. They thought it was all about what the adults had to say and doing it for adults. But Jesus said, no, it's about these young people. Well, we need mentors for young people. And those mentors are not supposed to be just people in their 20s. They should be all the different generations. I thought that I would finish youth ministry when I was 30. I thought it was over at age 30. I found when I hit age 40, it was getting better. Now that I'm 56 years old, young people want to listen to me more than they ever have. And I still can't figure that out. But wait, it makes sense. Because what happens? You care for young people, they listen. You care for them, they listen. Young people in this church, in this community, in this nation are making bad choices. And, and, the, and, the, and what's going on in the colleges, you, you wouldn't believe if I started to tell you. We must take and care for them. And we must prioritize for them and reach out to them. And so when Jesus Christ says that we're to make them the priority, let's listen when he also says, make disciples of all nations. I urge you to each of you, each of you adults, to take one young person, get involved in their lives, and minister to them, and build this generation of young people that will discover what will happen and maybe turn. The nation needs revival. It needs it. Are the young people being hindered from Jesus... Or do they need to be brought to Jesus? Stop stopping them. Stop hindering them. Let's embrace them like Jesus. Let's take the heart of Jesus and help young people assimilate into the church and reverse the immaturity and the direction this is going so young people are experiencing the Lord Jesus through us. May God bless your church. May God bless the young people in this church and may you be blessed as you minister to them. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much that your word is clear. That we are to take young people and embrace them. We're to assimilate them. And that Lord God, you would do a work in our hearts that our hearts would be your heart. And that our touch would be your touch. And our words would be your words. And the young people in this community, the young people in this nation, would not be segregated, kept to themselves, a tribe apart, building a world underground with communication that's only for them. But that Lord Jesus that this community of faith would be a community that would embrace those young people and help them grow in spiritual maturity. May we never hinder a young person from coming to you, but we see the blessings of being with that young person. In Jesus' name, amen.